It's Wednesday, October 23rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and tonight is Game 1 of the World Series, so the studio is filled with fans of the Boston Red Sox. From Motley, Sox. from Motley Fool 1, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argusinger. Pure coincidence that Harnessing you guys are Harnessing the power. Here. Harnessing the power of pure, positivity. It's total, sheer, total. We had no idea that this is sheer cool. coincidence yeah. that you're here for Game One of the World Series. Go Sox! Uh, earnings Palooza rolls on, so we're going to talk Caterpillar, uh, Panera, uh, a, a scary uh, warning from uh, one of the biggest beer makers in the world. But let's start with yesterday's event that Apple had uh, unveiling the new iPads. Jason, just looking at this, I mean, you know, it, it was the usual. Oh, they're thinner, lighter, faster. The iPad Mini, the you know, all the all the usual upgrades, all the usual beats that we've come to expect from an Apple event. But when it comes to moving the stock, it kind of didn't. Well, no, because one I mean, way or every, the other, every one every one of these presentations, they really are all kind of the same now. I mean, it's the six million dollar man presentation, right? It's thinner, faster, lighter, stronger. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> there is no surprise there. But I mean, I, th- I think that what you're seeing, the way Apple kind of surprised us yesterday, was more on the the app and the software development side of things, making more uh, apps accessible for free, the free upgrade upgrade for uh, Mavericks. Uh, they are really, I think, trying to. Not only bring more Apple hardware users into their up, most up-to-date software and, and applications, but also to sort of – I think the word of mouth, I think, as people use those those apps and that software, they, they do – you know, a- Apple fans are very adamant about, about their Apple products. I mean, I, I have an iPhone and an iPad here, obviously. I mean, I love them. I'm probably pretty close to upgrading to a, a, a Mac laptop of sorts if, if I need to, but um, – you know the the iPad Air, very very cool device. There, it's going to incorporate the new sixty four bit chip, A seven. Um, the neat thing I think for Apple is that every event they have like this, it's a new device, but they maintain older devices to bring more price points into play. Right, and and I think that is important because it is going to open up the opportunities to bring more uh, you know more buyers of Apple devices in, into the fray that, that might not have been there before. And, and a good example of that is is the iPad Mini. The old iPad Mini is going to hit that two ninety nine price point, which I think this holiday season I'll be interested to see how well that does because I, I would think it should do pretty well. Um, I know all of a sudden now I'm thinking about a couple <laughs> of potential Christmas gifts for a couple of girls at home, but you know we'll see. Yeah, I, I think one of the things we saw from the iPhone rollout, the most recent one, where a couple of weeks out from that, you look at the sales numbers and the 5S numbers were better than expected. The 5C numbers lower than expected. I think it will be interesting, Maddie, to see if we see that kind of divergence with the iPads as well. Yeah, I mean, I think Apple's in a little bit of an optimization mode, and as Jason's touched on. I, I do think there, with the holiday season coming up, it's it's the the newer, better, faster thing that people are going to be are going to be looking to buy. But I, I think the the older products are a nice backfill to people who may you know or may be getting in and don't want to pay the high price point. But I, I guess I worry in the sense that if Apple is in this optimization mode, they're not they're not really breaking the mold on any major new products. And I just wonder with the prices they're charging for a lot of these products, which far exceed a lot of the um, competitor tablets out there. And phones, you know, does it is their brand going to allow them to charge that much more in the future? I'm not sure. I will say that president uh, the presentation yesterday more or less sort of reaffirmed my disdain 
uh, where the smartwatch is concerned? Because I don't even oh. know that we heard the word smartwatch mentioned <laughs> yesterday. I, I didn't hear it at least. And I mean, I, I think the smartwatch is just stupid. I, I know. I mean, I've seen the I've seen the you know the, the Samsung commercial, or, and it, it the, the, the commercial is cooler than the product. It, exactly. Yeah. And I, but I've not anyone I know has talked about. Oh yeah, I can't I, I can't wait to get that watch. Well, no, but I mean, you look at like wearable technology. I mean, that's where Nike has really scored with right. the fuel band. Yep. And I think you're going to see something like Under Armour come out with you know, wearable technology is much more applicable when you're talking about fitness as opposed to just for tech's sake. You know what I mean? And, and I'm still, I reiterate, I'm not 100% convinced that Apple didn't just completely push Samsung first to market just to make them look stupid. Let's move on to earnings. Caterpillar's third quarter profits down 44%. They, Ouch. They cut guidance. And, Maddie, the stock was down 6% this morning at one point. Again, this is not. When was the last time this stock moved six percent in either direction? It's got to be years. It, it's a huge, <laughs> huge company. This, this was a. This was, looks pretty bad to me. I mean, the the big drop was really in their mining business, um, which was down forty two percent. That's that's a remarkable number. But really, it's 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 China. It's the uh, Asia Pacific. It's, it's a little bit of Australia. Um, you know, we had we've had this really topsy-turvy commodity cycle in recent years where it's been good some years, bad some years. Well, when it's bad, it's really bad. People just are not buying mining equipment. There's a lot of inventory build in there. But I look at some of the, you know, I look at uh, Caterpillar's other divisions, like their construction business was down 7%. Their generator, power generator sales was also down 7%. Taking all this together, Caterpillar is a little bit of a bellwether for some of the the, the building stuff, the building right. blocks of our economy. And it's, it's down really across the board. And, you know, maybe some of this is, is just Caterpillar specific, but at the same time, I say this this does not paint a really great, strong, robust picture of the global economy, especially emerging markets, which I think we'll talk about Heineken in a little bit. It's it's a little bit of a theme playing right now um, in the in the economy. Yeah, you've seen another company I follow that runs a little bit tangential to this is Lincoln Electric, which is arc welding. So it's energy and infrastructure, you know, infrastructure really of all kinds. Um, and, and over the course of the last decade, their uh, their sales mix has shifted from uh, predominantly North America to really more of a, a half and a half with 15 to 20 percent and growing of the BRIC economies, you know, Brazil, Russia, and China. And, and you can see even from Lincoln Electric, there is some there is some trepidation in, in, those, in those economies. While we've been telling the story about how they're growing so fast, uh, it's, it's not exactly a no-brainer time for them right now. So I think that you're seeing a lot of that uh, you know, play out with the miners as well. How long before they turn this around? Because, Matty, we were talking earlier, um, Doug uh, Oberhelman, mm-hmm. who's the CEO of Caterpillar was on CNBC this morning, said, among other things, quote, this has been a tough and painful year. When he thinks about the recovery, he thinks it's coming for, for them. And to your point about Caterpillar being a bellwether, mm-hmm. maybe the global economy as well, he's thinking late 2014, early 2015. I, I, on the one hand, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt because he's the CEO of the company. Sure. On the other hand, it's also in his best interest to, if not necessarily look at the world through rose-colored glasses, certainly be the one looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely, he's got <laughs> to be. You got to be optimistic as a CEO, as a leader of a, of a company like this. And uh, he might, you know, he might be early. I just think a lot of companies like Caterpillar, they built up so much infrastructure, so so much human capital as well, right? Believing that you know the BRIC countries and the emerging countries were going to just have this really endless, you know. A pool of demand for all these uh, products and, and 
you know, it just it's not working out as, as easily as a lot of these multinational companies thought it was. Panera's third quarter profit rose 17%, but same-store sales only 1.7%, and they cut guidance. Shares down more than 5% this morning. This is... This is a company you love, Jason. Uh, I do, you know, and I actually used to own shares, and I say used to. I sold them recently because I started uh, developing some concerns here in regard to the competitive landscape for these guys. And it's, you know, all in all, I still believe in you know what the company does and its growth prospects, but the stock price I felt like had gotten a little bit ahead of itself. And you know, I mean, so they they missed on the top line sales line, which I think is is telling. I mean. It was it was eight percent growth, which is not insignificant, mind you. But when you look at something like a Chipotle last quarter that turned in eighteen percent, all right. of a sudden you can see the disparity there. Uh, and Panera has more stores; uh, they they do less in annual revenue, and um, you know, Chipotle is is a much bigger company as a result. But you look at a Panera, and I think the one concern I'm I've been developing here is as Starbucks continues to grow out, sort of their expansion phase. You know, this big three acquisitions here of, of Tivana and, and La Boulange and Evolution Fresh, they're bringing, they're becoming more things to more people, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just coffee anymore. And so, for, you know, for, for the longest time here, really, Panera has been able to separate themselves because they make better food. I, mean, I think the food offering has always been better. We've always made the note of, wow, Starbucks has gotten this far without ever really ha- yeah. having got to the food part. Never right, really yeah. cracked the food thing. And Panera is just like that any town USA. Bagel shop where you can get bagel, coffee, bread, you know, and it's all very good. Salads too. Um, I th- I think there is going to be growing competition here from Starbucks, and along with all of these other options that are out there, like Noodles and Company now, uh, Potbelly, even. You know, all of a sudden Panera has to carry this menu that requires a lot of a lot of upkeep and a lot of items, uh, and, and so consequently you see their margins taking a little bit of a hit from that. Food costs really get them. And, uh, and you can see over time where Panera just maintains lower margins than Chipotle. That's, so. that's got to be a really tough balance because I'm it's just extremely. I'm just thinking yeah. in terms of again. I like to imagine what it's like behind the conference room, the executives pounding on the table, and I imagine one person on one side saying, "No, no, no we got to expand our menu. Look at the opportunity here." And then the counter argument to that is essentially Chipotle, which has. Mm-hmm. succeeded tremendously with what is by and large a very focused limited menu. Yeah, I, I, yeah. and to you know to Jason's point I, I know that Starbucks is really a company like Starbucks is expanding its offerings but you know I went to Starbucks this morning and and I had I got one of their breakfast sandwiches. I think the the beauty of Starbucks and a Chipotle is that you kind of go there and it's it's quick you you kind of know what you're going to get and if I look at you know Starbucks's breakfast menu they've got you know they've got a lot of baked goods but really it's about three or four sandwiches and it's really simple um, you know I get my drink I get my sandwich I'm out of there in 10 minutes with Panera it's big it's it seems to me I don't go to Panera very much but it it, it is a big menu but it's also kind of an operational challenge I think because you, you make the order there, I think there's like multiple stations where you order food and then you order drinks in one place and then you pick up the you know order somewhere else and it it just it's always seems like it's it's a little bit of a challenge to get people through there and, and down and eating and out but yeah they could use a little feng shui uh, expert to come in and, and <laughs> sort of right. work them through <laughs> no because no, i've thought the same thing I, yeah. I like panera um i like the food there not just the the breakfast stuff but also the soups meals in sure. general yeah. i think they do a great job with the food but there there is a little 
yeah. operational well, house the, cleaning they need to do. That's that throughput. You know, we talk about right. throughput all the time with Chipotle and how well they've done that. There's another concept called Elevation Burger, which there's one around here, and that's basically just burgers with really good ingredients. But they they more or less are trying to mimic that Chipotle model of, of the same exact store experience. But yeah, I mean, Panera, I, I don't know. I don't. They don't really disclose those throughput numbers like Chipotle does. It, but I, I would put the two biggest challenges for Panera today because they're always going to have an extensive menu. But throughput, they really need to figure that experience out because you know, I go there every once in a while. It's not that good. Um, I mean, the food is, but the, the, the mm-hmm. throughput experience exactly. is not. And then they they have they have got to embrace technology, man. I mean, get an app <laughs> and make that thing tender like I can use my Starbucks card. And that I think could go a very long way because they do have a pretty, you know, a pretty good base of loyalty customers there. I think it's thirteen plus million now, right? Which is considerable. And speaking they, of throughput, I would just just throw this in there. One recent IPO, Pop Belly Sandwich Works. You know, I won't say anything about the stock right now, but I'll just say they that is a company that is a, a sandwich shop that does a great job with throughput. I feel like the line can be seventy people long, but I still I'm out there I'm out of there in less than ten minutes every single time. It's just it's remarkable. Chris thinks so. their sandwiches could use a little work though, right, Chris? I am not a fan of the sandwiches, but I am as I said a huge fan of the milkshakes. Yeah, and oh, you're yeah. right, Matty. Oh, they do. If, if the milkshake division just if they spun that off, spun and, it, and spun that it went off. public, they put I'm, the little cookie there on the straw. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. it's and a nice touch. I'm, I'm buying shares of that. So, <laughs> uh, before we get to our final story, uh, on the other side of the glass, uh, not just Ann Henry, one of our longtime listeners, Bob Jeffers, uh, in from Pacific Palisades, California, and he brought a little something. He brought some tribute in the form of a massive box of C's candy, which we will be breaking into as soon as we stop taping. Oh, I can't wait. That's a humongous box. uh, So thank you to Bob. He did not have to do that. Um, And again, anyone can come by Full HQ. If you're ever in the D.C. area, come to Old Town Alexandria. We'd love to have you come by. And again, you don't have to be like Bob. You don't have to bring the tribute. But we appreciate it when you do. Yeah, I mean, when you do things things like that, you you just can't help but remember Heineken, which I hasten to point out is the third largest brewer in the world, has issued a profit warning saying that business was worse than expected in developing markets and that economic recovery in industrial nations was weak. That's kind of the whole planet, right, Matt? Am I wrong? We have developing markets. We have industrial nations. That's everywhere. Right. That guidance on the world. How, I mean, uh, I don't know anything about developing markets, but I know that here in the United States of America, we got the World Series starting tonight, and we're right in the thick of football season, which I would think would be prime time for beer consumption. I, I agree. I mean, Heineken, I mean, hey, first of all, great great ticker. I mean, it's, it's probably the best <laughs> ticker out there. Heine! Um, no, this, this, was, this was bad. I mean, with Heineken, the problem is, you know, they, they just... They're still they're they're still wedded to Europe, um, and they have been. And in fact, about if I, I might have the year wrong, I think in 2006 they made a humongous acquisition to really almost double the size of their European European and Eastern European. I think they bought Newcastle and and they bought the Foster's distribution rights in Europe. That was one of the worst acquisitions they ever made. They paid something like 20 times EBITDA. I probably have the number wrong. Right before the you know right before the financial crisis, right before Europe really went to the tank. So that's been really biting them. Wait, let me yeah. let me cut you off for one biting second. Them Sorry, oh, biting them in the hiney? Biting them in the hiney. We're just children, aren't <laughs> yeah, we? we? Um, was it a bad acquisition because of the timing of it, or was it just bad? Even if Europe hadn't tanked in the way that it did, oh, it still would have been. They still would have paid too. Fair much. question. No, they paid. They paid too much in any in any market. They paid okay. too much, but it just hurt doubly bad when the economy you know fell 
fell flat. Uh, so so that's the problem. They also made an acquisition a few years later, a better acquisition. They bought um, uh, a big uh, I forget the name of the company, but the the main one of the major Mexican beer brands. Was and it Modelo? Mo- no, nah, it wasn't Modelo. Was it? It's the Femsa, the Femsa, Femsa. brands. In uh, maybe it was Modelo, but it was Mexico and Brazil. It really helped them expand there, and they didn't pay that much for, that much for that, given the growth there. But again, it just it just really hasn't worked out. Um, they, I was really surprised to see that the numbers Mexico, Nigeria, Brazil, and Eastern Europe, some of the, the regions they called out, Russia, being down. The volume is being really down there. So Heineken, I, you know, looking at the stock, it's it's one of the cheapest. If you're looking to buy buy one of the big brewers, it's, it looks the cheapest, but it's cheap for a reason. Yeah. They're just not executing well. Growth is not there. Europe's still big a big anchor for them. So. Tough, tough issues for Heine. I don't know anything about the leadership there, but when I hear things like you just said, it makes me it makes me question what is the leadership at the company when deci- when big decisions like that are being made that are on the surface pretty obvious mistakes. I'm wondering if one of the catalysts for this stock is a leadership change at some point. I agree. I, I think that's that's possible. And you, you you have a management team in there that's been around for a long, long time. They've made these huge acquisitions and they've promised a lot. They said, you know, hey, Heineken's going to get a great foothold in all these emerging markets. Latin America's going to be big. Africa's going to be big. Not not really worked out ever for them. And, uh, you know, at the same time, great brands, great assets all around the world. Bring in a new management. Probably, probably more compelling stock idea. Once now, that happens. now, I'm not a... Here's how we'll wrap up. I'm not a beer drinker, but you guys are for seasonal beers. Now that the shutdown has been, you know, has been cleared up and seasonal beers are no longer held up by that obscure division of the Treasury <laughs> Department, right. which gives the stamp of approval for labels, new batches, all that sort of thing. For our listeners out there, what's what's a seasonal beer to check out? Or are you not a seasonal beer guy? I'm, just- I'm, a, I'm a seasonal beer guy. I mean, I would say I'm, I'm be- always a big fan of the Sam Adams Oktoberfest. We're a little past Oktoberfest time frame, but you can still find those beers everywhere. Great, great beer. Yeah, I'll echo Maddie's love for all Boston beer products. They are great. The one that I will kick out there that, to me, has really laid down just the gauntlet on what pumpkin beer is all about, because it's just not too terribly pumpkin-y, mm-hmm. is Dogfish Head mm-hmm. uh, Pumpkin Ale. And, and it, it, they have they have set the standard. I, I have never had a seasonal uh, beer that I liked more than that one. Were either of you part of the group? We had a, a group of colleagues who went to visit Dogfish. I and wasn't. They, they no. were raving about the yeah, way I that missed that, out on that one. Raving Big about the way I'm still that, better. I'm still better. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, Charlie Travers, uh, he just uh, they took a few days off of work not too terribly long ago, and he and his lovely wife Brandy went to the do the tour of the of the Dogfish Head Brewery. He said it was just a phenomenal experience, great experience. All right, get those guys Maybe to go jelly. public. All right, Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. Go Sox. Go Sox. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.